Welcome to AudioPie's English Literature and Language Show. You can dip into huge chunks of over 19 series for free and learn on the go. Happy listening, everyone. To his great astonishment, the heavy bell went on from six to seven and from seven to eight and regularly up to twelve, then stopped. Twelve? It was past two when he went to bed. The clock was wrong. An icicle must have got into the works. Twelve? Why, it isn't possible, said Scrooge, that I can have slept through a whole day and far into another night. It isn't possible that anything has happened to the sun, and this is twelve at noon. Welcome back to some of the opening lines of Stave Two of A Christmas Carol, which is the section of the novella that we will be discussing in some detail in this episode. As we meet Scrooge at the start of this stave, he is bewildered by time. Remember the narrator's deliberate choice of the phrase, once upon a time, to introduce the story? We are now seeing the results of that playful promise from Dickens to play around with time. Dickens builds on the striking image of the air filled with phantoms at the end of stave one by allowing the supernatural to continue to permeate reality in all sorts of disturbing ways for the protagonist. Scrooge has no idea how long he has slept, but it is dark again. There is momentary relief. Perhaps it has all been a dream, but there is also confusion. What time is it? Has Scrooge really lost a whole day? Now we know that anything can happen. And does, because Stave 2 heralds the arrival of the first of the three spirits, the ghost of Christmas past... Scrooge is still reeling from the experience with Marley's ghost, which bothered him exceedingly, when suddenly light flashes up in the room and the curtains of his bed are drawn. And that's one of those moments where the use of a friendly narrator, discussed in more detail in episode three of this series, is brought to the foreground. I tell you, he says, reminding us that, after all, this is a story. That the curtains around Scrooge's bed were drawn by hand. He interjects here to remind us of his presence. Scrooge was as close to it as I am now to you, and I am standing in the spirit at your elbow. As though we are in the room with these characters. The story is no longer simply happening to this nasty character Scrooge. We, the reader, are also implicated with that direct address, that you. Have we been as good to those worse off than us? If not, then perhaps we are as guilty as Scrooge and may well befall the same fate. So the ghost of Christmas past seems a real and physical presence there in the room, except that the way he or it is described is full of contradiction and the figure is constantly changing. Yes, Dickens employs a number of oxymoronic images in this description of the spirit. Like a child, yet not so like a child as like an old man. It is both young and old simultaneously. White-haired, but wrinkle-free. One minute it seems to have only one limb, a second later it seems to have twenty. 
It is headless and then only a head. The verb Dickens uses is fluctuating to suggest this continuous transformation. And one of the strangest things about it is the bright, clear jet of light which springs from its head. True. So it's as though the spirit represents all past Christmases and is therefore many things at the same time, but also illuminating these past years both physically and metaphorically. The business that the ghost announces to explain his visit is Scrooge's welfare, and he then proceeds to take Scrooge on a chronological journey of some Christmases since childhood, observing that it is strange that Scrooge has forgotten places that were clearly once so dear to him. Perhaps that is precisely one of Scrooge's problems, that he has not fully reflected on past experiences. The ghost of Christmas past seems to represent memory. The ghost tells him then, somewhat less kindly, that it is there for Scrooge's reclamation. That seems a strange term. Yeah, it does. Perhaps it's Scrooge's own spirit that needs to be reclaimed because he is then conducted to five little Christmas scenes, four of which he is a part, and one where he sees his former betrothed happily married to someone else, enabling Scrooge to reflect on what might have been had he only chosen a different path in life. As in the first stave, Scrooge experiences an assault on the senses. It is not just strange sights, but smells that strike him. He was conscious of a thousand odours floating in the air, each one connected with a thousand thoughts and hopes and joys, and cares long, long forgotten. The repetition of the adverb long here reinforces the idea that Scrooge has not always been this mean. Let's take a closer look at some of the individuals he meets. Firstly, he encounters himself as a young boy at school, then as an older schoolboy. In both cases, he is already unpopular and isolated. A lonely boy. And alone again when all the other boys had gone home for the jolly holidays. In the first case, Scrooge is reminded of how important reading was to him how real the characters became for him, and how much he enjoyed their company. This is something he has forgotten as he has grown older. Scrooge's cold eye glistens, and we are reminded of all that frozen and cold imagery associated with him at the start. It is as if he is beginning to thaw, or defrost a little, as he begins to feel, and his heart leaps. It is not long before he experiences a rapidity of transition very foreign to his usual character, so his personality is flexing fast. His sister, Little Fan, is introduced and reclaims him from his boarding school, saying that his father is willing to have him at home after all. She is full of laughter and joyful gesture, kind-hearted and gleeful, and readers are reminded of the fact that her one child is Scrooge's nephew the one that Scrooge was so rude to earlier in the evening. Scrooge becomes uneasy as he processes that idea. Some of those icicles are beginning to melt for the previously impermeable protagonist. 
Another connection is made with the first stave when Scrooge sees the fourth person, Fezziwig, his old boss. Fezziwig is the opposite of Scrooge in every way. He is comfortable, oily, rich, fat and jovial. And that is just his voice. Here Dickens is relying on contrast to make his point. This was the man that Scrooge was apprenticed to and should have been his model as an employer. Readers, however, have already heard about Scrooge's ill treatment of his own employees and relatives, as well as his begrudging tolerance of Christmas Day itself off work. In the penultimate scene shown to him, Scrooge appears in the prime of his life, and by now, the first signs of his poor life choices are beginning to show in his features. His face had begun to wear the signs of care and avarice. Greed is the passion which has taken root within him, and this is confirmed by the crying girl, Belle, who is ending their relationship because another idol has replaced her. The idea of an idol suggests worship, and the object of Scrooge's worship has become wealth. It is wealth which he craves and covets and strives for. Gain has become his master now. He has been engrossed in the pursuit of it, and she makes it very clear indeed that this is what has utterly changed Scrooge's nature. She loved the man he was, not the man he has become. In the fifth and final scene of the stave, Scrooge is not part of the scenario directly. He and Belle have evidently parted company, and Scrooge witnesses her husband and family growing up contentedly. Scrooge himself is simply mentioned in passing as an old friend, but one who is by now all alone in the world. Scrooge is able to lament his loss, but so much so that he commands the spirit to end the scene and haunt him no longer, as he is unable to bear it. His final action in the second stave is to attempt, unsuccessfully, to extinguish the light of the spirit, totally unable to confront the reality of the missed opportunities in his life and where it has led him. Scrooge is beginning to understand the consequences of his actions, the poor decisions and mistakes he has made in things over which he did once have control. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next pod. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to search for and listen to the next episode in the series to build your topic knowledge. Hit the Acast Plus link in the show description to become a premium supporter and unlock access to every episode in every series for as long as you need. We also make GCSE and A-level content for history, RE, sociology and psychology. Happy listening, everyone.